We are in the book of Acts chapter 14 today. I'm calling today's word death to life. Paul and Barnabas continue on their journey without John Mark and they travelled down to Iconium and preached in the synagogue there and many of the Jews and the Greeks believed. Reading now from verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went together to the synagogue and preached with such power that many, both Jews and Gentiles, believed. Then they go on in verse 4. But the Jews who spurned God's message stirred up distrust among the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas, saying all sorts of evil things about them. But the Lord proved their message was from him by giving them power to do great miracles. But the people were divided. And when Paul and Barnabas learned of a plot to incite a mob of Gentiles, Jews and Jewish leaders to attack and stone them, they fled for their lives, going to the cities of Lycaonia, Lystra, Derby and the surrounding area, preaching the good news there. There didn't seem to be a definite strategy with these fellows as they preached the word. I mean, here we have, they had their mind set on going to a certain place, but the people get upset and angry and they've got to get out of there. Oh, well, this wasn't the plan, Lord. God said, it's okay, it's all in order. That was what I wanted to happen and I was going to get you somewhere else where I wanted you to be. So they were led by the Holy Spirit into the surrounding regions of Lystra and Derby. We're down in Lystra now, and they come upon a man with crippled feet who had been that way from birth. He was listening as Paul preached, and Paul looked intensely at him and perceived he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him, stand up. And the man leapt to his feet and started walking. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul perceives faith. That's the witness of faith. And here's an example of how faith meets faith. Paul firstly had faith that the power of God was present and active. He was there releasing the power of God as he had in the previous place. And while he's looking at that crippled man with eyes of faith, that man was looking to God with eyes of faith. Different levels. But faith is faith, drawing near to God. And their faith met, and God knew that man's prayer, and Paul spoke God's answer. And the man stood up and walked. The same thing happened to Jesus when a woman was looking to Jesus in her need, believing she could be healed. And she reached out and touched his garment, and faith met faith. Jesus felt the healing power flow from him to the woman. Faith can perceive faith. So just know this, that as your faith grows, the Lord sees your faith, he augments it, he comes in and says, I'm going to add to your faith, faith to faith. And that becomes a way of life. I don't know the future. I know my needs. I trust you. And I'm putting this in your hands, Lord. And that is my faith, that you hear, you see my faith, you perceive it, you honour it, and you answer your way, and that satisfies me. 
that expands the base and the space of our faith, trusting God. Sometimes you'll perceive faith amongst other people and you'll sense there's faith here. There's faith in this place. It can be there. When the listening crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local Hittite dialect, These men are gods in human bodies. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Jupiter and that Paul, because he was the chief speaker, was Mercury. The local priests of the temple of Jupiter brought them cartloads of flowers and prepared to sacrifice oxen to them at the city gates before the crowds. But when Barnabas and Paul saw what was happening, they ripped at their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Men, what are you doing? See, they didn't understand the language. They just thought, oh, all these people are being nice and wanting to bless us, but they were being seen as gods. He said, we're also men with the same nature as you, and we're preaching to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own way. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. These people with their gods, Jupiter and Mercury, were simply reciting the legends that had been passed on down of the Greek gods that we read about in Genesis chapter 6. These beings of renown, human-like spiritual creatures of great strength that were seemingly were able to assume human form whenever they wished and to visit the earth. And so that got passed on. And... This was also a belief amongst the Egyptians and it's also what the Hindus believe, that these gods are there and they can come and go and so on. So there's some ancient myths about gods. Everybody wants to know that there's a god around. For things like this, because people in this place where Paul was preaching were of a very ancient culture. That Hittite language, it's not exactly Hittite, it's an old language that... People can't even find the origin of it. And they grew up as pagans in the sense that they worked the land and trusted the gods to provide everything for them, for their life. Everything came from this god or that god and so on. So you notice that when Paul preached, they spoke, Paul and Barnabas spoke about the god of creation who controlled all the elements of the earth and worked them together according to his design and purpose. He's done good things. He's given us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. I'm thinking, well, he's a pretty good God. Now, this is different to the way that Paul and Stephen and others and Peter preached when they were preaching to Jews where they'd speak about the Jewish patriarchs like Abraham and Moses and David, reminding them of their covenant as a nation with God. But he didn't do that with these people. I think it's wonderful for Christians to have our heritage of the Old Testament. And I 
love to speak from it as often as I can. But I realise that when you're in a certain culture where the Old Testament has no meaning to people, take anything about the goodness of God and share it and, and bring God to life. You might not have many scriptures, but you've got God in you believing that he's there wanting to touch the hearts and do good for those people. So his emphasis here was similar to the way he preached to the Greeks in Athens on the hill of Mars. Not that they were agriculturalists, but they had gods. And he didn't go back into the um, Abraham and, and Moses when he was talking to them, but he spoke to them in Acts chapter 17, which we'll be coming to soon, about the God of creation who determined the boundaries and the bloodlines and the appointed times and purposes of all the nations of the earth. And that got them going. There's a story for everybody about the God of the universe, the creator. So we get down to verse 19. So they've made a pretty big impression here. But a few days later, some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium. That's where they'd fled from. They had an agenda for Paul and Barnabas. So they incited a mob of people to stone Paul to death. They then dragged Paul out. They did that. Dragged him out of the city, deeming him to be dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Looking at that stoning to death event again. An incited mob to stone Paul to death. And then the Bible goes on to say, they then dragged Paul out of the city, deeming him to be dead. That word deeming, to deem something, nomitsa, means it is what it is. What it appears to be, that's it. That word means the rule of action that is prescribed by reason. Figured out that's what happened, there's the result, that's what we're going to call it. He's dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, the Bible says, he rose up and went into the city. Now, to say he rose up is a common kind of word, but that word, anistami, is the word that's used for Jesus' resurrection, rising from the dead, and also Lazarus. And he went on into the city. Now, he'd been stoned to death, deemed dead, he's dead, and he was left four dead, as some of the scriptures say. The disciples come around, stand there, obviously grieving, perhaps praying. They would have been looking to God. But he gets up, doesn't go to the hospital, walks back into the city. What happened? Now, this could have been the time when Paul left his body as he tells us later in a letter to the Corinthians. I'll read to you from 2 Corinthians, where he gives us a little account. And uh, he was trying to talk about the wonderful, glorious thing that happened, but at the same time trying to stay humble enough to say, look, this was all God, not, not me. 
And so he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this boasting is all so foolish, but let me go on. Let me tell you about the visions I've had and revelations from the Lord. 14 years ago, I was taken up to heaven for a visit. Don't ask me whether in my body or whether it was just my spirit. I don't know. Only God can answer that. But anyway, there I was in paradise and heard things so astounding that they're beyond a man's power to describe or put in words. And I'm not allowed to tell them to others, which is a good rule when something like that happens. I'm not going to write a book about it. <laughs> on behalf of this man I will boast, Paul says. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me in my life and my message. I will say this, because these experiences and revelations were so tremendous, God was afraid I might be puffed up in my pride by them. <laughs> so I was sent a messenger from Satan as a thorn in my flesh to hurt and bother me and pierce my pride. For Paul, he would have understood that the power of Jesus was not only about resurrection, because that's what he preached, the power of resurrection. It was about death and resurrection. See, Paul's experience was around about the time between, say, 40 and 44 AD. It's difficult to pin these time frames down because nobody really knew where zero was. They didn't know where AD started or didn't. So you've got a four-year gap sometimes either way. But it was around about between some say 39 and 44 AD. And when he wrote the second letter to the Corinthians, it was about 56 through to 58 AD. So in between there, there's a 14 years somewhere, which is interesting because he started off talking to the people and he said, 14 years ago, this is what happened to me. I was taken up to heaven for a visit, whether in my body or, or just my spirit. But it could be that that was a death and resurrection experience. And just because someone believes in the doctrine of resurrection, it doesn't necessarily mean that the power of resurrection is flowing in that person's life. Paul went through, it would seem here, about the ultimate expression of what you could call going through death and resurrection. And yet, that's the way we're to live. Without that extreme experience, we're living in the principle of death and resurrection. That's the only thing that makes resurrection life real. There's no resurrection without a death. And that, becomes Paul, that became Paul's message. From death to life. Every day of our life. Throughout our day. And that power is expressed in us when we're challenged to die to something that we realise is working death in us. We don't want to work death. 
We don't want to have death working in us in the sense that all we've got to give is death. The only way to have death working in us is if we know there's something else called life that can come into us and through us. We can choose to die to what there is in our body and soul that's causing death to come forth from us. We can die to that and rise up in the life of Jesus working in us. When Jesus died on the cross, he knew he would be resurrected. And he told people, Jesus did not fight for his life on the cross. Well, he couldn't. We can fight for our life. Paul couldn't fight for his life. We can. But they chose to hand over their life. That's a picture. That's the story of today. That's for us. Jesus had always surrendered control over his own life in overcoming the struggle of the soul and the spirit. And we see his willing surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he stayed alive on the cross until the life of his spirit left his dead body. So a body dies and the spirit leaves. Paul wasn't quite sure whether he was in the body or in the spirit. He said, God knows. When Jesus died, he committed his spirit into his father's hands. And when he had done that, there was resurrection. There was an act of saying, this is dead, this body's dead. This spirit is now yours. That was the historic time of resurrection. But that, for us, is a way of life. This spirit is yours. This body and soul I'm going to have to surrender the control of that into your hands as well. I don't want that running my life, but I want you to know my spirit is yours. Let's overcome this that's working death in me. Jesus committed his spirit into his father's hands. His body was raised up on the third day. That's anastemi, the same word that Paul writes about. But he was given resurrection life in his spirit when he committed his spirit into the Father's hands, into your hands. I commit my spirit. I looked at that word commit and I thought some versions say I commend my spirit. But it's an interesting word. The Greek word is paratithemi, para where we get the word parallel. Tithemi means to place with somebody. What Jesus did was place his spirit alongside his father's life. Into your hands, I place my spirit, a parallel joining together. And that brought about life. He brought back life to Jesus' body on the third day. But at that time, when Jesus did that, the spirit life of humanity was joined to the resurrection life of God through Jesus. 
the spirit life of humanity was placed into the Father's hands through his Son. Humanity then was able to experience resurrection life. Jesus couldn't hand out resurrection life to people until he had died. No human being could experience resurrection life. By faith, they couldn't just say, well, thank you, Lord, I've got resurrection life in me. It wasn't there to be in you until Jesus did that on the cross. And then humanity was given entrance through him to experience resurrection life. Colossians 3, verse 3 says, You are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, this is our life. Death to life. It's a simple message coming from death to life, knowing that it's there. Who's going to believe it? That's why the scriptures, especially as Paul writes, is full of this movement into life. So how can Paul say, you are dead? How can he write in Romans, you're dead to sin and alive to God? How can he say that? Who's going to understand that? It's because Jesus became our death and our resurrection. It was his death is now our death. How many times have you looked at that scripture? If one died, all were dead. What? He died for us. That we might rise in him. You think, Paul, please explain. All we do is receive repentance to life and have faith in his life working within us. It's called the simplicity of Christ. So simple, yet such a hidden mystery. If this mystery was just recited by illustrating the fact of what Jesus did on the cross and the words that he said to his father. And if every child growing up as they began to get spiritual understanding was told, this is the way, my child, that you're going to live your life. You're going to go through death to something and you're going to rise up to life in something because that's what Jesus came to do for humanity and you're invited to be part of that experience and it's going to require your faith and it's going to require you turning from the things that you think you're in control of but are actually controlling you and allow the spirit of life from God to come and transform you and change things and you won't have to go through all that unnecessary pain and suffering that you could be destining yourself to if you'd never hear this or never understand it. Paul said, you're dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden. But you know what? It's waiting to be found. It's the mystery of something hidden, waiting to be discovered, waiting to be revealed in each one of us. Our death is dying to the life of our soul wanting to take control. There's this exchange. Our spirit is set free into true resurrection life. The hidden life can be found and it's our faith that releases it. 
Don't think, oh, but if I've got to suffer for this and try and make yourself suffer and go through tribulation. Paul said, we'll go through tribulation. Don't ask for it. It'll be there. This will get you through it, basically. It will allow you to go through anything knowing that you have a power in you that's greater than anything you can muster up. Thank you, Lord, for your resurrection. Amen.